Are ceramic bearings really worth it? How much drag are bearings really producing? Does the type of grease matter, or is it faster to use no grease at all? In this episode, I interview Matt Harvey with Enduro Bearings, and he answers all of those questions and a whole lot more. This is one of my favorite episodes ever because we dive deep, like really deep, about materials, what causes friction, and why some marketing claims might really be too good to be true. We also talk about how you can immediately improve the performance of any bearing on your bike straight out of the box, even if your bike, hubs, bottom bracket, they're all brand new. Get ready to take notes and set your weekend aside for tinkering. Please welcome Matt Harvey. Hey, Matt, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Hey, Tyler, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this. So I've got not only a million questions of my own about bearings, and some of our team members here at Bike Rumor kicked in some of their questions too. So we've got uh, we've got a lot of things we're going to ask you. Let's start top level. So I think you know most people are familiar with what bearings do on the bicycle. We have them in our hubs, our bottom brackets, our pivot points, our headsets. But what is you know you guys have? I, I think most people think of it as either ceramic or not. You know, and with the knot being steel, but you guys have quite a few different levels. Maybe you could just kind of explain the different levels of bearings and races that you offer, and then we'll start going into some of the details. Yeah, we have three levels of ceramic hybrids. So starting at the top, we have XD15 ceramic hybrid. What is that? XD15 is a, a nitrogen stainless steel, and then the balls are uh, ceramic silicon nitride to be specific about the balls. And that material was made for ceramic balls, essentially by Airbus. And it's that's a special hybrid ceramic bearing that you don't, it won't wear out. You don't need to even lubricate it or service it. And uh, so it's a little different when you think about ceramic hybrid bearings, which generally need service re-greasing and servicing. So the next level down, we have uh, our Ceramic Zero line, which has uh, chromium steel races that have a special heat treatment and cryogenic treatment. And uh, those are probably our most po- one of our most popular lines. Uh, we sell a lot of those aftermarket because uh, um, um, of the pricing and they're, they're very durable. They do need servicing, however. And then at the entry level, we have uh, what we call our ABEC 5 ceramic hybrid bearings. <clears throat> and uh, we supply a lot of those OE for uh, um, original equipment that come on um, in hubs from other manufacturers. And uh, those are also chromium steel. They also get cryogenic treatment. And they all come with uh, really high quality silicon nitride balls, which good quality uh, ceramic balls is very important in all of these. So what's the difference then between that base level and the mid-level? Uh, really, the big difference, there's two big differences. One is the black oxide treating that we do three times, and it is a kind of a normalization happens to the steel that make them more durable. So they last longer and uh, spin better as a result. And they have uh, silicone seals as well. So we, we do rubber seals and we also make silicone seals. Okay. And I think uh, the black oxide, so the black oxide is the treatment on the, the races. Exactly. And then it, it's, it's a, uh, after that we do cryogenic treatment too. So there's a lot of steps to preparing for 
the ceramic balls compared to standard steel bearings, even though it's the same material. What is it about the the XD15 level, the top level with the ultra hard or ultra special race material that means you don't need any lubrication or service? Like, how do you go from a very high quality product that does need service to an even higher that all of a sudden doesn't? Is it like you literally just aren't touching it ever? Yeah. Uh, so that material <clears throat> was developed by Airbus to make bearings that go in there to make to go into the wings of uh, airplanes and resist de-icing compounds, salt water, all the things that um, affect an airplane. All the things and, that we hopefully um, are not using on our bike, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, you never want any failure and you don't, those guys don't want to, you know, digging them out of the wings and working on them is um, something they don't want to have to visit very often. So they're ma- they, the material was made uh, for that service. And I heard about it many years ago and I tried to buy it. It was it was difficult to get because aerospace uses a lot of steel and bicycle industry does not. Or, you know, the bearings are small. So um, anyway, long story short, I found a mountain bike enthusiast in the company we were able to get the steel from. Nice. Uh, and we started making our own bearings. Uh, the thing that's the reason I wanted to find it is ceramic bearings have to be serviced and um, you know chromium steel can also rust eventually and this XD15 will not rust and you don't have to service them if you don't want to that kind of interests me because I never have time to work on my bike I'm always doing something I just want to go ride it so for people who uh, want that kind of product it answers that question that's cool. And your website, you know, in your little page that explains this, it actually says the material is so tough that if any grit gets inside, it just polishes the bearing races even smoother. So how does that not, I mean, when you polish, theoretically, you're removing material to smooth it. So how does it not end up creating like a bit of a tolerance gap in there? Yeah, no, you're right. Over time, it's, uh, but it's years, like 10, 12 years of a lot of writing you do open up the tolerances there, but it's very minor. It stays within specification of the internal clearance. Uh, so, but we were surprised when we've, I mean, we've been working with this stuff for almost uh, over 12 years now. And people would ride on the cross series at Santa Cruz with sand in their bottom brackets. And we'd get the bike back and uh, you just blow the sand out with compressed air. And uh, we wouldn't put any lube back in it. We'd send it back out and um, the crank wasn't loose. You know, it, it's, it's, there's always clearance. Now, don't get me wrong. There's always a little bit of clearance in these bearings. Like when you pull on them side to side, you don't really feel it with your hand. When it gets really loose, yeah, it's chicka, chicka, chicka. You know, it's, you feel that play. But these, this is so minor, it basically just burnishes the races. It's polishing. Okay, cool. So you mentioned something, one of the differences between that base, lo- the ABEC 5, I'm just going to call it base level, and mid- then the next one up is mid-level, is you go from a rubber seal to a silicone seal. Is that, is it just like a more durable material or is it a drag, like reducing drag? What's the benefit? It reduces drag. So uh, rubber seals or buna seals, they're plastic rubber. Uh, you can mold to a certain tolerance and uh, and they 
have um, to be an effective seal, there's some drag with those seals. Silicone, you can mold more accurately and it's more slippery. So that's what you feel when you first turn a brand new bearing. You're, you know, the wheel doesn't spin um, as freely as it does after you've ridden it a few times. And that's two things. One is there's some seal drag. And then two, the grease hasn't really dissipated inside the bearing yet. And uh, the silicone is just more slippery. Yeah. Okay. I, I was going to, I was wondering about that because it does, you can definitely feel that seal drag. So when it starts loosening up, have you essentially just like worn down that seal a little bit and all of a sudden it's not pressing as tight against uh, each, you know, the inside and the outside? A little bit. What happens really is, uh, especially with our bearings, because we fill on both sides with grease, which is unusual. Most bearing manufacturers just fill one side 30, 35%. We fill both sides 35%. So some grease is going to come out. And what happens is the grease gets under the seal as you spin it. The first ride, you take it out because it's all shot inside the seal or inside the bearing. It hasn't had a chance to migrate out. So a little bit migrates out and comes under the seal. And uh, that's that's your break in. The seal hasn't worn out yet. It's it's um, There's just some grease under it. What do you mean by both sides? Explain that. So in the factory, when we fill them with grease, uh, the bearings are on, they're, they're flat. And uh, the grease gun, if you will, comes down and shoots grease around the uh, perimeter of, of the bearing on one side. Usually then the seals just get put on in assembly, but we shoot the grease on one side, they get flipped, flip them over and shoot the other side too. So you have maximum grease fill. Okay. So do you end up with more than 35% grease fill? Yeah, we're more like 80% grease fill. Okay. That was actually one of the questions that uh, Jesse May wanted me to ask you was, you know, why not just pack these things full of grease? Do you need some air in there? Uh, well, it's impossible to get 100%. You always have air, but you can get pretty close to 90. We do about 80 because, uh, well, we do closer to 90 in max bearings for pivots because those are never spinning. Those are just rocking back and forth. So grease, um, you want the grease to come out a little bit after it's turned a little bit because it's spreading all around onto all the metal surfaces. So you don't have any steel on steel contact where it's dry. Um, cause that's when friction and wear really begins. So, uh, yeah, on wheel bearings and bottom bracket bearings, we shoot both sides. So when they start to spin, it covers everything. And it also makes a grease seal, if you will, in between the seal and the race. It's like a, it's another barrier that keeps dust out and, uh, yeah, uh, water contaminants from coming in. Um, all right. A couple questions. First of all, like having that much grease in there, does that actually slow it down? I mean, I'm just thinking this, imagining like a thick grease in there and it's, it's almost like each of the bearings now is a plow through a lot more of a, you know, something. So we use different greases for different specifications. So wheel bearings have a lighter grease, usually Kluber or a mobile grease that <clears throat> its shear factor is less than the grease that we put into the max bearings, which has an a high shear factor. But in that case, they're just rocking back and forth. And what you want is, uh, that's an extra high pressure grease. And what that means is the ball won't push the grease out of the way. In a, in a 
in a bearing that's in a um, rocker in the suspension bike, you're getting all these shock hits and uh, uh, you're, you're not worried about it spinning like a wheel. You just want, you want the ball to have like a pillow cushion between the ball and the race so it can absorb the shock. So we put what they call extra high pressure grease in there, Almaguard. And it's like what Caterpillar uses and some other earth moving companies. And it's, it works well for that, but you wouldn't want it in your wheels because you'd have what you just described too much shear force and too much resistance. Okay. So for pivot bearings, and I imagine like maybe probably headset bearings as well, where you're not spinning it much, but you're getting a lot of impact forces. Like if I were to get a new bike, would it be a good idea for me to like pull those bearings out and physically spin them, you know, a few times or just sit there while I'm watching TV and spin them for a while to really get that grease fully distributed around? No, you can just go out and ride it. It's fine. Uh, there's so much grease in the, uh, in a headset bearing, like you mentioned, or a max bearing. It's everything's covered. That's why we fill them both sides. When you pull a headset, when you take our bearing apart, a headset bearing, you'll pull the seal off and there's going to be a whole amount of grease that kind of spider webs off with the seal. And that's the other part of the grease that you want is in that application is a very tacky grease, the kind of spider webs. It's real sticky, sticks to everything. Yeah. Well, maybe I'm, what if I'm unfortunate enough to buy a bike that doesn't have your brand bearings in it? Oh. <laughs> Do I want to try and make sure that that grease is really propagated around through my pivot bearings and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I open up other people's pivot bearings sometimes and it's hard <laughs> to even find the grease. And then it's maybe like a clear jelly. It looks like, uh, um, I'm, you know, yeah, you, you would want to just pack that thing with grease. I would. Yeah. And I guess the right kind of grease, because I, you know, like I've pulled bearings out over the years and, or I should say I've peeled the cover off and put grease in, but I've never, you know, I hadn't thought a whole lot about what type of grease I was using. So I've probably been doing that wrong. So now, you know, the way you explain it, I'm thinking if I, you know, maybe that 35% fill, which you kind of made it sound like that's sort of the industry standard that seems woefully inadequate to have enough grease in a like a wheel bearing or bottom bracket yeah the reason is is most of the bearings that we use in the bicycle industry let's just use a real industry standard number uh 6902 it's in almost everybody's hub and it's a very popular pivot bearing too so sorry what so what does 6902 mean is that a diameter yeah, 6902 refers to a couple of things. The 6 refers that it's it's an industry standard meaning radial bearing. The 9 is the series of thickness of that bearing. And then 02 refers to the inner diameter of the bearing. And uh uh so 2 means is usually 15 millimeter. 02 is 15 millimeter ID. Um when you get up to 04 it starts going in 5 millimeter increments. So 6904 is 20 millimeter, 6905 is 25 millimeter. So you just multiply them by five. Um, but Makes perfect yeah. sense. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And then, yeah, so, but let's just take that industry bearing. Um, uh, where was I going with that? The, oh, okay. So if you buy a off the shelf, big brand bearing from uh, your, your bearing house, uh, it usually has 25 to 30% grease fill one side. And the reason for that is those bearings are getting used in electric motors, which are spinning 
10, 20,000 RPM. So if you fill that thing with grease, it's going to fly out and foul the uh, brushes or the magnets. So you would never put that much grease. You, you almost can't start the bearing too uh, when it's got that much grease in it from an electric motor from a static start. So, um, so bicycle industry is unusual. I mean, there's high loads on these bearings we are and relatively. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's why we're in it too. Uh, but something not right with us. <laughs> um, but you know, and so high loads and low RPM, they're almost never going over 200 RPM or, you know, in the, usually in the range of a hundred to a couple hundred RPM. And that's slow. And in the bearing world, that's a slow speed. Right. So it sounds like anytime I get, you know, of course, unless it has your bearings, and I'm not trying to knock anybody else, but it, you know, maybe there's some other good brands out there too, but it almost sounds like anytime I get a bike, I'm probably not a bad idea to just pull the seals off and add a little of the right kind of grease in there. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it uh, usually on bikes you buy out of the box, I find there's not enough grease on any of the bearings. Um, and that goes back. I mean, working in shops years ago, that was always the case. I mean, you wouldn't do it to every bike, but the thorough shops would crack open headsets and bottom brackets and check the grease. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of my questions. And it's like, how? What's the best way to do that? Because like I've used a little metal pick and pried the seal off and usually blasted it out or, you know, just flushed it with degreaser, rinsed it really well, let it dry. And then, you know, when it's ready, I'll put fresh grease in, pop the seal back on. Is that just all that needs to be done? Or? Yeah. Yeah. You've pretty much got it there. Uh, you have to. Uh, so what I use, what I recommend is the smallest little Swiss army knife that has a nice little flat blade. Sometimes the picks you get from, uh, you know, the round can kind of, the round shape of a pick can bend the seal. They're really small and thin. So you have to be careful, but um, you get it if you practice a little bit, but that small, flat, sharp blade from the the little teeny, you know, the keychain Swiss Army knife. That's the best tool for cartridge bearings. And uh, yeah, pick the seal off carefully, both sides, flush it out as you recommend, let it dry out. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to blow out bearings with compressed air officially, but I think we all do. That's one of those Why things. Why not? What's, I, the, what's the problem with doing that? Oh, they think you're going to like wind it up with compressed air and spin it at some super RPM. It, you I mean, know, I've for high that. speed spindle bearings. I know. I <laughs> me, my, me too. Cause I, oh, don't do that. Well, then I'm going to try it anyway. <laughs> but, what's the harm though? Like, I mean, aren't bearings made to go fast? Yeah. The compressed air, uh, you know, I really can't recall what the reason is, but it can do some damage to certain types of very hot precision bearings. Um, and, Maybe it, I can't remember it to tell you the truth, but it's in every, uh, it's kind of funny. It's in every pairing manual you pick up. Do not use compressed air. But right. if you hold both races and it's not turning against itself. Maybe they're worried people just like blow the little balls out and they would just go flying everywhere and then you'd be SOL. It's possible if you got the retainer. I don't know. I Somewhere sometime back there, somebody got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Where are your safety glasses? Yeah, definitely. All right. Good to know. So 
I'm curious just because there's probably plenty of good greases out there. Do you guys sell a series of greases for different applications as well? Or do you just recommend some third-party brands? Uh, well, both, but we do sell grease. Uh, we sell three types of grease. So we a general all-purpose grease, which is uh, the blue mobile grease that we sell. And uh, that's for wheel bearings. And you can use it in anything, actually. It's, uh, it is what it says, all-purpose. And then we do sell the Almaguard red grease that we put in heads, headset bearings and max-type bearings. It's an extra high-pressure grease. And then we also sell Kluber grease. Uh, it's a Kluber Isoflex, and it's a really um, high-quality grease for that's fast, quote unquote, for ceramic bearings or uh, you know it's good race day uh, grease. It's also very durable, very good against water washout. So it's kind of the best of all worlds. Okay. It's expensive, but it works really well. Cool. So I've heard you know urban legend of pros who have their bike serviced every day or completely like they get whatever they need. So it's not a big deal for them to worry about longevity so much as it is ultimate performance. And then, you know, right. just running ceramic with absolutely no lube, which sounds like in the XD15 would be perfectly fine. But like how much drag do you save if you run it dry? It's immeasurable, frankly. <laughs> we don't have the equipment to measure it. We meaning almost anybody. I mean, it's it's very theoretical um, because Bearings don't use a lot of watts or soak a lot of watts, if you will. They're very efficient little machines. So um, you can take the seals off. The seal drag is probably more than the grease factor that you're mentioning there. Um, and you could do that with XD15 bearings. You could take the seals off and just run sewing machine oil, whatever you know. People have used through the years on the track bikes. You know they took them apart and it took the seals off and you could hear the, the old days, the balls would click against each other, right? Cause there was no <laughs> retainer. So you hear the track bike click, click, click. Uh, that's the balls hitting each other going around. I, I think it, I, I don't think it, it adds up to much, but I think it's a lot of times psychological with, you know, but yeah. uh, I, you can do that with XD 15 and it won't hurt the bearing. Let's put it that way. It's, it's okay. fine. So what about the retainers? And I guess we should kind of call it out for people who don't know what that is. It's And you tell me if I got it right. The retainer is the little part that sits in there that the balls are captured by. To me, that seems like a piece that would add a ton of drag. Uh, no, it reduces drag because the balls aren't rubbing against each other. And again, this is very small. We're talking about very small numbers here, but a retainer reduces the drag by separating the balls. Okay. In a standard manufactured ball bearing, not max type, you can only get a certain number of balls in there in assembly. And uh, after you put those balls in, you've got a gap of maybe 25%, 30%. So the retainer separates the balls evenly around the, the, the circumference of the bearing. Okay. I feel like, and I could not for the life of me tell you where I've seen it, and maybe it's not even on a, a bike I've ridden, but like I've pulled apart like super cheap hubs and there's been no retainer and the balls are just like randomly laying in there. Is that common or does that mean something bad happened during assembly? It used to be more common. I see it less and less. Usually there's a retainer nowadays, but when bearings were first made, that's how they were all made. They were just 
put in there angular contact style usually. So that means like cup and cone, you know, you, and you have a, a gap in between the balls. It's filled with balls, but there's usually a gap of at least a half a ball or one ball. Um, but there's nothing necessarily they, to maintain that gap as it turns, right? It changes. Yeah, it's random. It changes as, as it turns around. And, uh, you know, some hubs are still made like that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but you have in that particular, these aren't cartridge bearings we're talking about. Usually they're, uh, they're cup and cone um, style bearings with an axle and two cones in the hub. And then, I'm sorry, two cups in the hub and then two cones that come in and you adjust it with a threaded axle to get your preload onto those balls bearings right okay let's talk about bearing size and diameter and i'm gonna start with a story that this is I, I i was thinking about this last night because i didn't want to get it wrong this might be my imagination or it might have been part of sram's marketing materials when they introduced the dub bottom bracket but we went from having a 30 millimeter spindle to dub being like I think it's, what is it, like 28.99 or something. It's so infinitesimally small of a difference. But one of the reasons I seem to remember hearing about why they did it was it allowed the bearings to be just that slight bit larger. So if you increase a bearing by a millimeter, is that making a massive difference? Or is there some other reason why that would be happening? No, if you increase the ball diameter by a millimeter, it changes uh, exponentially the mass of the bearings, so it 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 does count. Um, I don't think the balls are as large as they could be with the SRAM BBs, but oh, you know, I mean, anyway, uh, that's another story. But yeah, <laughs> let, let's get back to your point, and it's true: the the larger the ball, like let's say when you go from a two millimeter ball, I think the mass is uh seven millimeters cubed and when you go to a three millimeter ball it goes to about uh almost 20 millimeters cubed so that mass is important because it has to run over dirt it has to it you're talking about ball contact area in the race that goes way up exponentially too so your point is correct uh it goes way up, let's say, to where when you go to a five millimeter ball, which we have in our new max hit line. So that standard ball in the industry is two and two and a half millimeter. When you go to five millimeter, the mass is now um, 65 millimeters cubed. So that thing has a much larger contact area. It rolls with less uh, uh, resistance and it. Uh, has a larger ball area that's making contact with, so it wears longer. So there, even though with a smaller bearing, you have more balls supporting the larger balls, you have fewer, but the contact area is still greater. Okay. Yeah. And I would think too, it's almost like going from, you know, the 26 inch wheels to a 29 or like you roll slower theoretically like the wheel can roll slower for the same given speed and so is that do you get any benefits with you know lower heat buildup when you're running larger balls too or does that even does heat even come into play with bicycle speeds heat in our testing heat doesn't really isn't really much of a factor but <clears throat> what we do find 
on both machine testing and then practical field testing is that the uh, longevity greatly increases. And if you want to talk about wattage and uh, power, the bearings are very equal at the beginning um, when they first start, like the ones with small balls and the ones with big balls. But as you get up to 300,000 cycles, 500,000, a million, things start to change. And the the wattage uh, soak, if you will, from the ones with the larger balls stays almost exactly the same through 2 million cycles where the smaller balls, a lot of times they won't even make it to a million or 500,000. It depends on the maker. But that that's what we found in our testing. So when we have gone, you know, some bikes use an external cup bottom bracket and you know, you guys offer them, a lot of brands do, but they're all the same size. Why not take advantage of that extra real estate when you don't have to pack, you know, move the press the bearings into the frame and you have this you could go unlimited. So if everybody's still using two, two and a half, why not just bump it to like three millimeter bearings and make that you know, the bottom bracket shell on the outside a little bit bigger? Yeah, well, we do on, um, so our bearings are usually uh, the standard external bearings for us is four millimeter. Oh, wow. That we can get into the into the uh, bearing with an aluminum cup. And then our new Max Hit with a stainless steel cup, those are five millimeter. Okay, and that's for a bottom bracket? Yeah, so if you, but the thing is, is if you go to a really large one, you're going to get into another tool and then people complain about, I. Uh, you guys are introducing another tool to us. Damn it, another standard. <laughs> yeah, you got to have years for all the the different. Uh, yeah, I imagine there might be some frame clearance issues too with some, you know, when the chain stays kind of start to pop out to make room for tire clearance. But yeah, I've I've always kind of wondered why they weren't taking full advantage of that space. No, you're you're right on on that, and uh, uh, because yeah, and that's to the point we made the the new Max hit. Well, the, the other thing with the max hit is it's always, you want to keep it light too. If you make it too big, people complain about, you know, 25 grams heavier. So you, you got to, you know, it's full of compromises. The engineering yeah, always happy medium there. Uh, all right. Let's, let's talk about ceramic bearings versus what, what is the, the typical steel for a steel bearing? Is it just a stainless steel or? No, usually it's uh, what they call, what, what you call a chromium steel. So it's the ASTM number is 52100. Uh, what does that mean? It's a high carbon chromium steel. And uh, you can get it really hard and it's very durable. So you can get it up to 60, 62 Rockwell. And Versus what's a ceramic bearing? Well, the ceramic ball is much higher. It's like 78, 80 on a rock. But the Rockwell scale is exponential, so it's like seven times harder than the steel uh, ceramic ball. Ceramic ball is, it's ceramic, so you can think of it almost like a rock. You know, it just doesn't flex or anything. A steel ball can flex like a pillow. You know, it can, it, you don't think of it that way, but it can actually, you know, bend a little. So can the race. What is it specifically about ceramic bearings that make them faster? Is it just the hardness or like how, and if so, like how, how are they faster? Yeah, it's, again, it's, it's, uh, 
there's a lot of um, exaggeration in the industry about <laughs> no. about that stuff, and I I don't want to like. Uh, uh, it's a safe space always, here. It's a safe space. Go ahead. Okay, I always get asked about it. So you know, I, I uh, it's really hard to measure that resistance. The coefficient of friction of the bearing is really low. And uh, let's just talk about the drivetrain. The drivetrain we know to industry is seven to eight watts. That's the chain and everything. The chain is about four to five watts. So that leaves, let's say, two to three watts for all the bearings on a bike. Well, there's 12 bearings in your on your bike. There's two in the front hub, four in the rear, two in the BB, and two each in the pedals. <clears throat> so, and the pulleys and the bear or the pulley wheels and the drill and the jockey wheels. Yeah. So you can divide that two or three watts between all those bearings. There's your math on that. And then a ceramic bearing, if you, um, theoretically, yeah, it has less drag because you have a really hard ball, uh, a much harder ball than the steel ball rolling on the uh, steel retainer, or let's say a full ceramic, uh, you know, a really hard ball rolling on a very hard surface. So there's no, if we get to the microscopic things, it's the Hertzian waves, the, you know, as you push a ball through the steel race, there's like a, what you're pushing sort of a wave through the steel on this microscopic level, the resistance of that. So it's, but let's say there's a little difference there. It's a very immeasurable thing. Most of the wattage, uh, Measuring devices don't measure less than a watt. So you're talking about 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.5 watts here. So it's it's very small. That's the whole bearing we're talking about, not the percentage of that change. So it's really hard to measure those things. Right. So when we see a part, we'll just not name any specific ones that claims like a 10 watt savings, it's just complete BS or... I want to know where, if you can show me, I, I never say, you know, yeah, just show me. I want to see the actual test results. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't seen that. Okay. All right. I mean, there is like, I've been to you know, the Tour de France or something. And when the, the when we're actually allowed to touch a pro's bike, just given their pedals, like a backspin, sometimes it's, it's mind blowing how little friction there is in there. And it's, but uh, you know, like, every single possible thing is so optimized but um right yeah there's probably some on my own bike right like i've done all kinds of stupid things to my bike or put all the upgrade parts on the test and sometimes it really does you can feel something maybe not so much riding but in the stand mm -hmm. you know and i think that gives you that psychological benefit but no yeah. i i agree i agree with you i i mean i like my cranks to spin well i want to take my chain off and spin the the BV and the cranks, like, you know, and, and not see that thing turn two or three times and then stop because it, it, it I, I agree with you. You can feel it. It's just when you're really testing it on machines and, and, uh, trying to measure that wattage, it's, uh, surprisingly low. But, uh, all the seal drag, all the, all the things that we were talking about before, those do add up. And a lot of times it is seal drag. That you're feeling um so another thing that happens though with small balls that we can't forget is um when they get small and the races are very thin is pinching drag so when things get really light like a rear hub you you 
use super light bearings. Okay, we're going to make this hub. It's going to weigh, you know, this wheel set target 1200 grams or whatever, but you get this very light hub. And then what happens, you get out of the saddle with this big cluster and you're twisting the thing, big axial loads on it. And the thin bearings actually get pinched and the balls are skidding. So now you've made this really light thing, but you've essentially got a drag break um, when you're out of the saddle, really pushing it hard because the balls are locking up and uh, they're, they're basically wearing out too. Those bearings will probably, if they're really thin bearings, they'll probably wear out in a few weeks or something like that on these very lightweight hubs. Same thing happens in a bottom bracket. Sometimes it can spin really well in your hand or, you know, on the stand. But when you get a rider, especially a pro rider with, you know, full output, 500 watts or something, you know, that's a lot of pressure and it's not even pressure on the bottom bracket or, or rear wheel. <clears throat> Interesting. Okay. So question for you, because I've had a few wheels in recently that I didn't, I didn't really pay attention to this when they were brand brand new but just after a few rides um I'll, I'll grab the axle and i'll spin the hub and then i'll just feel like just it's you know like either there's like it'll spin around and it's kind of this this little like almost just like not not an audible click but you know like a, a tangible click right or you you feel like a little bit where it's just it feels like there's grit in there or something and i'm i'm just thinking like man these wheels are not that old like how is that is it I mean, do you think it just came from the factory with a little crud in there, or is that normal? So dirt, you can uh, dirt. Dirt moves around. So when you're spinning a a, a bearing or a axle, and you feel that, if it keeps changing, then yeah, it's probably dirt. The other thing it can be is nylon retainers grip the balls, and when it, the wheel is unloaded and you're just spinning it in your hand, the nylon can. Retainer can hold the ball and skid it slightly. And that feels like dirt sometimes, but it may not be. It might be the ball momentarily skidding from the retainer gripping it. And the retainer is that uh, like spacer thing in there that keeps the balls from touching each other. Right. The ball separator. So the, yeah. the steel, steel ones usually have less drag, and that doesn't happen usually with a steel retainer. You'd, but vibration especially with super light wheels these days like carbon wheels with no tire on it and you spin it in your hand you can feel a little shuddering sometimes or a little vibration or as you say it might feel like dirt that often can be just the retainer momentarily gripping the balls because it's 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 unloaded now once it's on the ground with the tire and rider everything's spinning so um I'm not really answering your question, but just no, no, that, that does. It, I mean, at least gives me one more thing to check, right? Like now, I'll, I'll grab the axle and I'll press the wheel into the ground and roll it on a very smooth ground and see if I still feel it. And then my immediate thought was like, well, I guess those probably just need more grease in the bearings, right? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe not. It it could be uh, just the retainer, and then retainers break in too. Nylon retainers, the the ball rubs against the retainer and it gets smoother over time. But when they're brand new, there's you can imagine it's a molded retainer. There's flashing on it from how it comes out of the mold. Sometimes that, you know, depending on how old the mold is for the retainer, they wear out too. They get smaller and uh, grip the ball more over time. So, um, man, 
so many little things you would never think of. <laughs> that, that's why I love having these conversations. Uh, man, that's that's all of my questions. What um, I mean, what have I not asked that you guys get a lot of or that might surprise people about bearings in general or the materials or anything? Well, we get... So being a bearing company, you kind of become the problem solvers because <laughs> uh, everybody always, when they get a creak or a squeak or whatever, it's, well, my, it must be the bearing, you know, and it could be uh, 25 other things. Um, you know, I just went through one recently and it was crossing spokes rubbing against each other, which, you know, a little oil on them. And I, I thought it was the cassette, you know, there's... You know, you go through your bike, we ride these bikes, they're pretty light, cassettes are made out of aluminum, the cogs start to cut into the cassette body and notch, and then they make noise. So we get a lot of questions about why is my bike making noise? So we have a whole section of that on our website that, you know... Here's all the things that's not our fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can run through the checklist. Um, you know, sometimes it could be a bearing, um, you know, maybe the bearing is loose in the cup and it's, it's, um, moving in the aluminum cup. It's, it's, it's not that common actually, but it, it is possible. It could be a bearing sometimes, but so what's funny is it's usually not, it's chain ring bolts or I don't know, you know, any number of things that rub or make noise in a bike, but bearings are one of those things that nobody thinks about until there's a problem. And then it's, uh, and then, and then you have to address it. What's funny about modern bikes is you, you can't even see them anymore. You used to see cups, headset cups on the outside. And uh, now even with uh, press fit bottom brackets, that they kind of disappear into the bottom bracket shell. You only see the crank arms hanging out. And uh, so, you know, you don't even think about bearings anymore a lot of times. But they're so important because all of your mass is suspended by these rolling elements and uh in in my mind they're su i think about it a lot obviously but they're super <laughs> yeah, I hope so. they're, they're super uh, important and they have to be really efficient so uh you know a lot of the things so xd15 came out of um calls from people saying don't you guys sell something that I never have to look at again. Can I just ride my bike for five years and not bring it into the shop? And, you know, that's, that's, that was actually a big impetus to find that. And when the solution appeared and we were able to make them, <clears throat> uh, it appeals to me too. It's like, yeah, yeah, just go ride your bike now. You don't have to think about it. Just put these in and uh, they're, they have a lifetime warranty too. So if you do have a problem, you got a peace of mind on it. Um, and then recently with max hit, we're kind of trying to tackle similar challenges, but at a better price, you know, medium price point, uh, compared to XD 15, XD 15 solves that problem. Um, they, they cost more money, you know, it's like, that's the design trifecta, right? You can have price delivery and performance, but pick any two, <laughs> How do you get the bearings to be perfectly round? So, uh, yeah, a lot of people think balls are made from shot towers, like they drip some hot liquid out at the top, and by the time it gets to the bottom, it bounces. I think they used to make 
And it used to be, right? Or is that just like shot for like weapons? Yeah, that's... They, I mean, there's a reason why shot towers are called shot towers, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe at the very beginning, there's, there were some used like that, but they've... Uh, so how they're made in modern times is they're forged uh, from a wire feed. It's actually wire coming out. And there's uh, two ball sh- uh, or cup-shaped forging pieces that come out like incredibly fast like it's like a machine gun and it's chopping the wire and forming a a a somewhat of a ball you know a rough ball as it cuts the wire off at a rate the wire is feeding through and this thing's just chopping it into uh little rough round balls then those balls fall fall into um between grinding discs that start grinding them in a circular motion um like you need like you would make a a ball of dough or something but it's actually grinding and it's it's you know it's pretty rough at first taking material off and grinding it into a ball and as it gets to the to the proper diameter it falls through a hole to the next set which are finer and it they they just keep following through discs as it gets rounder and rounder till you get to the uh, lapping where you're polishing it at the end. And uh, at the end, when it, it, it's all automatic equipment. These are huge factories that all they do is make balls. And um, uh, that's, how, that's how the steel balls are made. Now the ceramic balls are forged uh, or they're in a uh, high pressure mold uh, with, a, uh, with the material and an accelerator in it. It, uh, they're, they're molded and then they're polished, uh, in a somewhat different way, um, after the, uh, um, after the, uh, molding of them, but similar, similar type of polishing action, frankly. And, you know, so if you, go ahead. if you have the ideal of perfectly round, how close are we on both, uh, you know, the steel and the ceramic? So in the old days, uh, the best balls you could buy in the bicycle industry, and I always remember this, was Campagnolo balls were grade 25. And nowadays, grade 25 is very common. And what does 25 mean? 25 means 25 millionths out of a round. They're really <laughs> much rounder than the races are true. That you, so the balls are much huh. better than the races. Nowadays, ceramic balls, common, you can grade five. That's five millionths out of a round. It's, Jeez. and then when you get down to, you when you get down to grade three, it's point of diminishing returns. It's uh, they use grade three for like rocket launchers, military stuff for super accuracy. But you know, grade five, you can never make a race as true as the ball is round, if you will. Oh. The balls are really good. So when you hear when you hear like ABEC five, that five is the grade five. No, something that's else? something different. ABEC ratings is a a uh, rating of the entire assembly of the bearing. So grade five okay. refers to the ball, and ABEC five. So there's ABEC one three. It goes in odd numbers one three five seven nine. Uh, th- that refers to about twenty five parameters of tolerance of the bearing. A lot of it has to do with noise at High, very high speeds, so it's not particularly relevant to the bicycle industry. Um, we go up to ABEC five because 
an ABEC 5 bearing is um, as accurate as any machined hub or part on the bicycle is made. When you, if you go beyond that, if it's really an ABEX 7 bearing, you can't, you can't take advantage of those tolerances pushing it into a machined hub. It would have to be a ground piece of steel. So ABEX 7 and, and ABEX 9 bearings are usually spindle bearings, and those are used to make bearings or make parts. Those are the <laughs> bearings that go into, you know, very precise grinding equipment, uh, machining equipment, and uh, um, extremely, extremely close tolerances, but uh, you, you can't make use of them in a, in a bicycle component. Cool. I did actually think of one more question while we were talking. What about like side loading on a sealed cartridge bearing? Because I know with, you know, like putting a crank set in sometimes to get rid of enough play, I'm really wrenching it down. And I guess then it comes, you know, for that in particular, like it's a matter of getting the spacers between the bottom bracket and the frame and the spindle and all that junk just right, which is a whole nother fun thing sometimes. But um, at some point, to get the play out, it's got to be pretty snug. But then are you like, do you run the risk of any of these things or even, even just like clamping the through axle lever or, you know, for people who are still running QR, like clamping that quick release too hard. Can you put too much side pressure, side load on the, on a sealed cartridge bearing? Uh, yes. Uh, in answer to your question. So all of our bottom brackets that we sell, we use angular contact cartridge bearings on them. So they're meant to be preloaded. And then the ball, when you do preload it, and you don't need a lot, you need, these are 15 degree, they're kind of shallow, what you would call shallow angular contact. So they're mostly still radial bearings, but they're made to be side loaded, as you say. So um, the ball ends up riding in the proper part of the race, rather than a radial bearing. If you shove it over to the side, you're kind of, the ball is is not in the area of the race where it's supposed to be uh, all the time. And a radial bearing, there's internal clearance and the ball kind of goes back and forth, if you will, along the raceway, like a bowling ball in a gutter. It's kind of going back and forth. So, uh, um, yeah, uh, in our, ang- our we, in our bottom brackets, we use angular contact bearings. So that all the balls are engaged as well, all the time. Radial bearing, as they spin around, the balls on the top are floating and the balls on the bottom are under pressure in that case, like 40% of them are coming under pressure, the bottom one being under the most pressure. <clears throat> so that's, that's just the nature of radial bearings and how they work. And all, pretty much all of our wheel bearings these days are like that. Uh, they're their radial bearings and some hubs have a preload system where you're preloading two of the bearings against each other in them. Most of them are radial bearings set up with spacers. And to your question about through axles and quick releases, most hubs these days, they, they have a separator in between the inner races on the hub so that no matter how tight you tighten it, you can't, you're pushing on the inner race together. So it, you're not going to, push them together, if you will, and overload them. Because through axles, you, with a threaded through axle, you can get so much pressure from that, um, you can really close it down easily if you over-tighten it. 
Okay. All right. So for a bottom bracket, it sounds like the ideal is an angular contact bearing. So like if I find a bottom bracket that has radial bearings or like standard cartridge bearings, maybe not a good idea or? I mean, they're not really made for it, although we see all bottom brackets have preload systems on it. Shimano Shram, Shimano has the uh, center ring in the center of the, the crank, and SRAM has the uh, ring on that you, you know, it's finger tight. So you're only exerting about probably uh, 10 pounds of preload with that ring, finger ring. But then people, you know, they want to put more preload. There's aluminum rings that you can exert more preload uh yeah so yeah the bearings if you're doing that to two bearings um against each other in in you should have angular contact bearings okay cool or just get your spacers right at least so that you're not putting undue pressure on <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's almost like it, it should be easy i think in this day and age but man it's almost like its own little voodoo to figure that out even if you're following instructions there you just you just uh, revealed what the other uh 80 of the phone calls are <laughs> <laughs> oh man well thanks so much for your time man i really appreciate it i learned a lot and yeah we're gonna put some links to your website some of your products that we talked about in the show notes for this one if people want to check those out and i'll i'll find the resources on your website and link to those as well and i'd say if anybody has questions that weren't asked or answered Leave them in the comments and maybe we could do a part two if we need to. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.